reporting from the SAP Healthcare Personalized Medicine Symposium here in Palo Alto, California. And it is my privilege to introduce you to Dr. Carlos Bustamante from the Stanford School of Medicine, and he'll tell you more specifically about what he does at the newly created center. Hi, Dr. Bustamante. Hi, it's a real pleasure to be here uh, with you today. So um, we have been uh, collaborating with SAP now for uh, three years on developing uh, new approaches and tools for analyzing large-scale human genetic variation data. Um, the work had uh, begun really as a, as a research project around in-memory databases and how we could leverage them to accelerate the kinds of analyses that we do, uh, be they uh, focused on human population genetics and ancestry and history or more on the medical genomic side. And uh, during the course of uh, this collaboration, we've also now uh, begun to work together on software tools um, that can hopefully you know, improve our decision-making uh, in the clinics and ultimately uh, improve healthcare outcomes for patients where we want to use genetic data to tailor their treatments. So this is a newly created department and, and center, and it's a relatively uh, new hire uh, for your position, but you've been with Stanford School of Medicine since 2010. Talk about the evolution of uh, essentially the center. Um, sure. So there are a couple different entities that we're talking about. So when I came to Stanford, I was hired by um, Mike Snyder, who is the new chair of, human, uh, of, of genetics in the Department of Genetics. And I came in uh, largely to help with building out the analytical capabilities. Um, and uh, over um, the, the last six years, we started first a center in computational human and evolutionary genomics, which is ongoing and a sort of joint initiative between the medical school and um, the uh, School of uh, Natural Sciences and uh, Humanities and Natural Sciences. And that's really focused much more on very basic, fundamental research and catalyzing within Stanford the kind of genomics community. Um, and then over the last two years, um, uh, my colleague Ewan Ashley has led an effort in biomedical data sciences um, to really imagine and think about how we could position Stanford to be a leader in this area. Uh, we've got a tremendous expertise in statistics, the best statistics department in the world, in computer science and engineering. We have a phenomenal medical school, but all of those pieces are um, somewhat separate. And so the goal of uh, first the initiative that uh, Ewan has led is, is to bring those components together and create uh, culture and abilities to collaborate in biomedical data sciences. And, and one component of that is now a, a department we've, we've spun out that I've um, had the privilege to be the first chair of that will attract uh, new faculty to Stanford in biomedical data sciences as well as uh, uh, organize those of us at the medical school in biostatistics and biomedical informatics and different domain areas um, focused around large-scale data analysis, the algorithms that come in. Uh, amassing large data sets and then ultimately translating that into improved clinical decision making. Tell us a little bit about your glide path, you personally, and, and the genesis of the program at Stanford. Um, so the, the, this department really kind of came out of um, discussions that we had as a, as a faculty uh, around where we want to be over the next five to ten years in the whole space of large-scale data analysis and and 
more concretely also in the space of precision health, which the dean has identified as the sort of top direction for the, the medical school. And it became clear to us that we had, you know, tremendous expertise in different departments in different areas um, around large-scale biomedical data analysis, uh, all the way from people like uh, Rob Tipsharani and Trevor Hastings, who like literally wrote the book on statistical learning and machine learning. I mean, these guys are really sort of the world leaders in developing these algorithms through uh, folks like me who do large-scale uh, data analysis of genetic data. There are other folks in the department that do large-scale data analysis of uh, clinical data, um, all the way through to people really thinking about implementation and health outcomes and, and clinical decision support. And so we really want to kind of straddle that whole space from very deep methodological uh, development through sort of research data analysis and um, really extraction of biological knowledge from large-scale data through to implementation and, and really kind of boots on the ground translating this in, into the clinic. And, you know, we think we're really well positioned as a, as a university and a medical school because of our expertise in, in engineering and, and also the, the sort of stellar clinical enterprise that we have. And it's sort of how do we bring those pieces together? Okay. So there's three pieces that strike me here. One is the health information technology piece. The other is the emerging science around genomics and then the bridge towards clinical medicine. So as a patient, how does all this roll up and impact my life? Yeah, no, I think that's a great, that's a great question. And the, the key, I think, is that if we think about a single human genome, you know, the first genome that got sequenced, um, it cost about a billion or so dollars to generate that data in 10 years. Today, we're now sequencing genomes routinely, almost overnight, for close to $1,000, okay? Nonetheless, we still face a huge interpretation challenge, which is, how do I take your genomic information and use that to tailor not only medical treatment, but health advice, right? What should you be eating? How often should you be exercising? How do we really make use of that in a meaningful way? And part of that is we need to aggregate the data. You know, a genome on its own is very hard to interpret. But if we have millions of genomes with linked clinical data, we are now having the insight, power, and opportunity to mine those data for correlations and for associations that we can then uh, use to drive improvements in, in healthcare. And this is not only on the um, sort of individual side; it's also on the on the research and, and ultimately biopharmaceutical side. So the um, latest generation of cholesterol-lowering drugs came from looking at people at the extremes of the cholesterol distribution. And you take individuals that have naturally low cholesterols and you look at their DNA, and it turns out that there's a gene called PCSK9 that's enriched for mutations for people that have naturally low uh, cholesterol. Well, there are now several pharmaceutical companies that are making monoclonal antibody therapy against this gene precisely based on that kind of genomic evidence. And the data so far looks great, right? Here is sort of the next generation of statins, and it's come from aggregating all of this uh, patient data. And so 
Um, in, in terms of the uh, President Obama's Precision uh, Medicine Initiative, the whole idea of creating a national participatory cohort where we bring our individual level data, our electronic health record data, our genomics data, our profiling data together as a community and figure out secure ways of sharing those data so that the biomedical enterprise can, can mine it is really, I think, critical to coming up with solutions to the pressing healthcare costs and needs that we have, right? Today we're spending more than 20% of GDP on healthcare. The 1960s it was 5%, right? And so as population is aging and more of us are suffering from chronic diseases, we need to kind of come together and, and use our data to improve health outcomes to have a healthier uh, society and, and ultimately um, lower costs. So the historical bench to bedside trajectory has been cited objectively at 17 years. Do you think we're going to look at the similar arm ramp here? Oh, I think it's, we're, we're really trying to close the loop far faster. The, you know, I think PCSK9 might be uh, a good example. It's been less than 10 years since that, those discoveries were made and really less than five until they were at a point where you could uh, begin to really um, move into the therapeutic space and they're now you know ongoing clinical trials and drugs that are going to come on the market soon and um, in the same vein there are um, other areas uh, of cardiovascular medicine that are being targeted in this way uh, other areas of personalized cancer treatment that are being targeted in this way and so definitely the the goal is to uh, accelerate the development of these drugs and and also um, to not follow other areas that aren't as promising. Um, you know, the, the other area where genetics has played a, uh, an insightful role has been in so-called HDL or your good cholesterol. Um, the genes that predict your good cholesterol don't predict at all whether you have a heart attack or not. And there are now several drugs that went uh, into trials and they raised your good cholesterol but didn't have clinical efficacy against these cardiovascular endpoints. And so they're not going to be followed anymore. And so it's an example of where you could use the genetic data to really kind of guide the development of uh, where we should uh, be investing precious resources. I mean, it's extraordinarily expensive to bring new drugs to market. And so figuring out how to either reposition drugs or to where to bet hedge as a, as a biomedical community is really critical. And so you're seeing a lot of pharma coming together with healthcare providers coming together with genome sequencing services to you know, kind of get all hands on deck to figure out where the best leads are going to come from. We're clearly at that all hands on deck stage here making a difference. You want to talk a little bit about some of the private academic partnerships that uh, Stanford is, uh, is involved with in this vein? Sure. So uh, for the last three years, we've had a collaboration, a sponsored project uh, with SAP at Stanford that um, has been in incredibly rewarding. Um, it began as um, a collaboration to understand how in-memory databases could accelerate the, uh, the work that uh, we've been doing in uh, human population genetics and ancestry and broadening representation of medical genomics. And we were, you know, delighted to see just how uh, well the um, algorithms and workflows that we developed could be accelerated. Um, and then over the last year or so, it's really moved uh, far more into the clinic in collaboration uh, with my close colleague, Ewan Ashley, who I'll sure you'll speak to uh, soon enough uh, about uh, how we begin to bring together disparate data sources um, into a, a real kind of command view that could uh, accelerate our ability to uh, do discovery and also uh, uh, treatment and care. And you know, I think these problems are 
you know, so fundamental and so important that we really need industry leaders like uh, SAP, like Oracle, like Google, like Apple, you know, these guys that have really tackled the, you know, the big data challenges of our time um, to come into healthcare because it's it's ripe for them. It's it's an incredibly important space and one where the innovations that they've made could you know re- literally translate into lives saved, right? You know, one of the things that uh, a lot of my generation bemoans is that some of our best minds have been working on getting people to click on ads. So hopefully, we can sort of retool that and uh, get them to really think about how do we improve decision making and get people to make better personal decisions about um, health and, and also how we improve the ability of doctors to give us the advice that we need when we go into the clinic. And this is a global imperative. It's not just a U.S. concern. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you look at uh, China, you look at Brazil, you uh, look at Mexico, you look at all the, uh, the growing economies. They're all facing the same kind of chronic disease burden that the U.S. and, and, and Europe and established economies have, even, um, even developing countries. You know, the uh, highest rate of diabetes growth is actually in Africa, right, as these countries are industrializing and um, facing many of the same um, at challenges we are, uh, we have a, a moral imperative to help uh, bring uh, new technologies to market that can improve the lives of, of so many people. So Stanford has an iconic place in the innovation economy here in Silicon Valley. Uh, talk a little bit about what it means for Stanford to put a stake in the ground on personalized medicine or precision medicine. Maybe contrast the two. Yeah, so I, I would say that... Um, uh, that Stanford is unique in its ability to incubate ideas until they can take a life outside the university. And, and that's what we've done so well um, and why I came to Stanford, why it drew me from a very idyllic life. I used to live in upstate New York in Cornell, a wonderful place, still love Cornell. Um, but the, you know, the sirens out here in Silicon Valley um, that sing to us and say, look, what you develop can reach millions and millions of people um, once it gets spun out of the university. That was really, I think, the, the, the call for many of us because we feel like as academics, we've got great ideas. We can get graduate students and postdocs to pilot and demonstrate that these can work. But ultimately, if we just leave them in the lab, they die. Right? It's, it's in the ability to translate this into broader markets through either commercial enterprise or through nonprofits or through many of the ways that Stanford spins things out that we can really impact change. And so, you know, what I tell graduate students when we're recruiting is, you know, if you want to come change the world, Stanford's the place to do that, literally. Right? You know, if, if you look at the things that have been spun out, it's that kind of entrepreneurial spirit married to a desire to make the world a better place, right? That, it makes it so exciting to be there. And um, the fact that, uh, you know, SAP is a mile and a half from campus makes it really close and great to be able to collaborate. And we've got lots of collaborations with other entities. And, you know, so for us, it's a real opportunity to to work with our partners in this space to affect change, which is ultimately why we got into this business in the first place. Well, thanks for spending some time with me today. And uh, Good luck with the continu- continued development of the programs at uh, Bustamante Lab at all. All right. Thank you very much. It's a real uh, privilege and pleasure to, to talk with you. And uh, you know, ultimately, I think it's about bringing new people into the field and about having a diversity of opinions that um, can help us really move this agenda forward. And we really need 
everybody. We need physicians, we need researchers, we need patients, we need computer scientists. I mean, the, the problems are so big that there's no one community that's going to solve them. It's the bringing together of folks around a set of problems that uh, need solutions that's been the, the driver here. And I think that's why it's so exciting. Well, there you have it. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 